So the benefit of that is you get to work with these really incredible brands, how you use your money to really get your message out there. I love being a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. I Hello, welcome to another episode of the Dre and Smiley, the Inner Circle Podcast. All right, Smiley, man, we got a great guest here with us today. I'm going to read a quick bio, then we'll jump right into it. Erica Billups was a senior vice president at Archetype and a co-founder of Archetype Ascend, a division within the agency dedicated to providing strategic communications and support for, Bi for BIPOC founders, executives, and VCs. With more than 15 years of experience in narrative development, executive performance building, and creative storytelling, she's especially passionate about uplifting, celebrating, and nurturing diverse voices in businesses and technology. Prior to joining Archetype, Erica served as a vice president at Outcast, where she worked with companies across a wide range of industries, including HBO, SoFi, Pinterest, Box, GitHub, Amazon, VMware, the Obama's foundation, the Obama Foundation's My Brother's Keeper Initiative, Keeper Capital, and many, many more. Over the past several years, she has also focused on internal brand building and operations, leading staffing and resourcing, DEI, and internal communication functions. Erica is a proud graduate of Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, Florida, where she achieved an MBA specializing in marketing. She is also a proud member of the Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. With that, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So fam, so I went to college in Atlanta. Fam is right down the street. Okay, I'm from Atlanta. You're from Atlanta. Okay. So Fam is right down I the street. Am. And so we went down there for all the all, all the things, as, as the kids say today, all the things. <laughs> the band, yeah. uh, the 100, what's the name of the band? Marching 100. Marching 100. One of the, mm -hmm. I'm sure you would say the best HBCU band in the nation. The best band in all the land. And oh, man. <laughs> if you haven't been to an HBCU homecoming, for those listening, you have not lived your life. Your life is not complete. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Good times, good times. So, but let's get into to you and who you are and what, what you're doing today. So, tell me, how did you get into your talk to me about your journey and background to the into the field of narrative development and executive platform building? Talk to me about your journey getting into that. Sure. Well, so to most people, I'm in PR um, or you know strategic communications and. Honestly, I fell into it. Um, I was a marketing major at, at Florida A&M. There was a PR program that was in the journalism department. And I was actually a journalism major my first year. And I just, I wasn't sure about journalism, if that's what I wanted to do. So I figured if I got a business degree, you know, I could go a lot of different directions. And so when it was time to graduate, I was in an accelerated MBA program at FAM. And so that means like you're working towards your MBA while you're also working towards your BA. Um, and you have to do um, several internships before you can graduate to get that kind of real world experience. And so I was going on my last internship and I needed um, 
only that to graduate, no more coursework. So I figured it would be smart to look for a, um, to look for one in a place I might want to live after graduation. And at that point, I had only lived in Atlanta and Florida. And I, I actually was born in Los Angeles and moved when I was really, really young. And so I had a very short list of cities that I was considering. I still have the list in my drawer somewhere. Um, I don't think there was anything west of maybe Dallas, right? And so I told my mother about this list and she was like, why don't you uh, look at San Francisco? Like, why don't you have any California cities on there? And at the time I just felt like it was too far from home. And she said, you know, home is just a plane ride away. You can always come home. And so she was the first one who planted San Francisco in my mind. And then I would say within the next couple of months, two different people came to me and said, oh, I was just in the Bay Area and I could see you living there or I think you'd really like it. And they were not connected to each other at all. And so I'm, you know, big believer in God. I feel like God will give you the signs. And so for me, that was a sign. I had never been to the Bay Area before, ever. So I decided that I would just like apply for internships in the Bay Area, check it out and see, you know, what the possibilities were. And at the time, and this is going to show my age, all of the internships were like, you know, you looked on Craigslist to find them. Um, and on Craigslist, marketing and PR were listed together. So they were kind of under one one area. And most of the PR internships um, seemed like, okay, I could do, I could do that. <laughs> you know, like that seems easy enough, yeah. I thought at the time. <laughs> um, and I saw one internship, like I talked to a bunch of people. They all wanted me to go to New York for some reason. But this one internship at Outcast. Um, it was really, really robust and they wanted me to be in San Francisco. And so they had me come out, um, to interview. And so that was my first time visiting the Bay area when I interviewed for this internship and I got it and I was like, oh, you know, I'll try this PR thing. And if I like it or I don't like it, or it's just, you know, I don't like the Bay area, I'll just go back to Atlanta and I'll figure it out. And so I got this internship and it was, I mean, some called it a boot camp because I mean, they really put you through your paces. It was very hands-on um, and I, I just ended up loving it. Like I got to work with some really cool companies. Ooh. Yahoo Ooh. was my first client and you know, I got to work on Flickr and Yahoo Mail and things like that. But I also got to work on companies like EMC, okay. which taught me technology in a whole different way. Yeah. And so at the end of my six months, they offered me a job and I decided to stay wow. in the Bay Area and stay at Outcast. And I was at Outcast, I think, 15 and a half years. Wow. Just because I had such an incredible, for anybody who's worked at an agency, um, it's just a really incredible opportunity to work on a lot of different types of accounts. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not stuck working on one company. Um, and for every company that you do PR or communications for, and for, for those that don't know what that is, basically you're helping a company tell their story to the public, Ooh. whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, you know, back 15 years ago, it was mostly like, especially in technology, you're reaching out to blogs mm. and you're trying to get them to cover your clients and you're trying to, you know, get a reporter to help tell your story. It's different than marketing in that because you're working through a reporter, you have much less control of the story that you're telling, right? Like you're 
putting them in touch with a, an executive. You're coaching your executive on like, here's how to tell your story in an impactful way. Like here are the key messages that we want to get across. But once you give it to a reporter, you never know, right? right. Like they, they bring their own perspective. They bring their own experiences, um, you know, and, and every company goes through their own thing. So anyway, that's kind of how I got into it okay. and how I got to where I am now. Yeah. So tell me this, my niece just graduated college and she's working for P&G in marketing. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm, trying, I'm, trying, I'm kind of picturing some of the similarities she might have experienced back when you first started um, as a recent grad and getting in, into corporate America, that sort of thing. Um, that's kind of what's going through my mind. But tell me, in terms of marketing and PR, how, what's the biggest difference aside from you know, reaching out to reporters and blogs and things like that? Mm-hmm. What does PR look like today? And what do you think is yeah. the most effective mode that's being used today right well i mean marketing and pr work hand in hand they really what we talk about is a um, integrated communication strategy which means you have to figure out how to tell your story in many different ways and on many different platforms i would say the biggest like the biggest difference between communications when i started and where it is now is that um there are a lot more channels and avenues for companies to tell their own story and their own words than it ever was before. I mean, social media was just becoming a thing, right? When I first um, got started. And so now it's like, you can tell your story in your corporate blog. You, you know, you have to have a strategy on Instagram and on TikTok. you know, you have to have a strategy on LinkedIn. Um, so where you're, where I think the biggest difference is because like a lot of times communications or PR actually comes from the marketing department, you know, like the CMO might be the one who's managing, um, you know, the PR communications team and things like that. So, like I said, it really maps hand in hand, but like marketing is where a lot of your spend goes. Right. So like when you're doing marketing, you're also doing big events, right? Like you're doing those with your customers or in the community um, and things like that. You're doing market research to figure out, okay, I need to make sure that my product is in these stores because this is where my customer base frequents. Um, so they're really a part of a larger strategy, but I would say like the, and I think a beautiful thing about it now is that as a brand, you really have a lot more control over the stories that you tell mm-hmm. and um, people, customers, clients can hear from you directly. Mm. Um, so it allows you to have a lot more personality, mm. um, a lot more fun with what you're doing. Um, because when you're filtering your message only through a reporter or, or a media outlet, like I said before, you don't have that much control. But if you're telling your story in your own corporate blog, um, you know, and you're using that to reach customers as well, then that's another um, space for them to learn more about you and for you to build that relationship. Sure. In terms of the control, the story comes to mind that I just read recently. I think it was earlier today. Kevin Durant has a lifetime deal with Nike. You may have heard about this. And he was being interviewed, mm-hmm. I guess. And he had some new shoes that just came out and someone was asking him, so tell us about the new shoes. Kevin Durant was like, eh, you know, it's nothing to write home about. And it was on Twitter. Mm. (laughs) Nike took that 
reposted it and said, PR nightmare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nike took that, reposted it, <laughs> yeah. and said, oh, we're writing home about it right now with big eyes. Kind of made, yeah. made it spin, kind of fun. So, so with that yeah. in mind, you know, I feel like it's, there's a huge advantage because, like you were saying, companies have more control over the message that gets and how it gets out. The flip side of that mm-hmm. is, in the, today's climate, um, you know, it's kind of sometimes a, one little phrase could be misinterpreted or someone could take it and spin it, you know, and now there's mm-hmm. a bigger problem. With that, would you say that with, new, with the, the new platforms and new technologies, is it harder, all, even though you have more control, in some ways, is it harder to come up with that creative marketing strategy that is a surefire win than it was before just because of all of these platforms and the climate that we're in right now? Yeah, I mean, nothing's ever surefire in communications because you could think that you have a really incredible Um, campaign, marketing campaign that you're going out with, but it may not resonate, right? Like, so you go in there with the best um, ingredients, the best research that you have, you're taking feedback from, um, from folks so that you make sure that you're prepared. But at the end of the day, it, you have to remember it's a two-way conversation. It's not a one, it's not a one way. So for instance, in the, in the, um, examples that you're talking about. And this has always been the case, honestly, where, you know, people have a voice, but it's just now that voice is using a megaphone. Um, And something that somebody says on the internet can become a big thing. Like, you know, 15 years ago, when I was working on Flickr, um, which Flickr was, I would say, like the photo sharing platform for professionals before there was an Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, But we used to have to deal with quote unquote crises all the time, because like, if there is a technology issue, and all of a sudden, you know, a 1000 of your photos that you spent your time on are missing. And now people are complaining about that, and the reporter picks it up, then that becomes a thing, mm, right? Yeah. Like, so where you're trying to figure out like, how to explain what happened, how to make, you know, assure the public, it's not going to happen again, mm. or whatever the case may be. The difference between then and now is, instead of a reporter just picking it up, um, you know, and that's where it, it ends. Somebody could tweet about it, and now a bunch of people are piling on, and it's become this huge megaphone. And now, reporters, more reporters are going to write about right. it, right? And so, so it's always a two way conversation, and you have to make sure, like, so in this case, not only are you working with reporters who have questions about how this happened, why this happened, what you're going to do in the future, and things like that. But also you have to make sure that your customer service is on point at all times, mm. right? That you're re- like you're responding in the appropriate way, mm. but also that you're not overreacting because these things go in cycles. So sometimes things become viral and you reacting to it in a certain way, um, trying to mitigate the communication damage makes it worse. So there's a lot of conversations that need to happen. There's a lot of um, voices in the room. And this is where, when we talk about diverse voices, making sure you have diverse voices in the room, Mm -hmm. that's where it becomes important, Mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of times these types of things happen or you'll see a bad reaction to a marketing campaign 
because it's tone deaf. Mm. And the reason it's tone deaf is because you don't have any black or brown folks it, like involved in the creation. Mm. And it could come down to you don't have any black or brown folks on your design team mm. who recognize the fact that they need to be using more inclusive images. And then you don't have the right people on your communications team who are reviewing these things and saying like, hey, y'all, we can't go out with this <laughs> because X, Y, Z. You know, and so that's why, like, I'm so passionate and so many people you see are talking about this now, because the more diverse voices that you have in the room, and it's not just, you know, ethnic diversity, but it's also, do you have um, people with different abilities, right, who can say, like, hey, this is not accessible. These, like, these images that we're using or this technology um, is not accessible or you have a room full of men and you're trying to market to women, you know? So you really have to think about who you are trying to speak to and making sure that your team is representative of the audience and the world around you, right? Because it's not just your customers, it's your partners, you know, it's other organizations who you may want to link up with in some way. It's your vendors that you use. Like, so it's, there's a lot of, people in your ecosystem mm. and you have to make sure you're thinking about that uh, because it impacts your communications it impacts your marketing in really significant ways i love that i love that how you detailed all of that uh you mentioned men marketing to women the obvious first uh, series or show i thought of was mad men right how back in the day you know <laughs> how that world actually existed where these people just kind of just oh we can market to any and everyone. All these men have the, have the right. right answers. And so, so tell me this, you also, and this, what you just shared actually does a great job in terms of segueing into a, a follow-up question I have, which is um, Archetype Ascend, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me more about Archetype Ascend and explain its mission of supporting BIPOC founders, executives, and VCs. And I'll pass it over to Smiley after that. Sure. So I've only worked in global kind of agencies and the benefit of that, and by global agencies, I mean, like we may have offices in other countries, you know, and we serve other markets. And so Archetype is a, a you know, pretty large agency with um, offices all around the world. And so the benefit of that is you get to work with these really incredible brands. So Archetype you know, we work with Walmart, we work with uh, Slack, MailChimp, you know, so it's really exciting. But my partner and I have both been in this industry, he, he even longer than me over two decades. Um, and we had only ever worked with like a handful of, you know, um, black or brown founders. Because this type of um, comm support from these types of agencies are very inaccessible when it comes to price, right? It's like most of the clients we work with are paying, um, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a month. And so if you're a, you know, an entrepreneur that's trying to get your business off the ground, you don't have that, you know? And we already don't get funded nearly as much as companies that are founded by white males, right? So you're, you're at a disadvantage already. And communications, a lot of people have a very narrow view of it. They see it as like, I need to get to be successful. Like I need to get my um, company written about in the New York Times or Black Enterprise or all of these things. And that's one aspect. 
But communication is so much more than that. It's also your core foundational messaging. How do you talk about your product in a way that is differentiated? You know, so that when you're going out into a crowded market, you stand out. You know, what is your strategy? Because how you talk about yourself shows up so many different places. It's on your website, it's in your social media channels, it's in your marketing materials, it's in your partner communication, right? It's in your job descriptions, it's in your employee handbook. And so if that messaging is not consistent, then you're not necessarily going to cut through the noise, Mm. right? That's one aspect of communication, right? Working with the reporters, that's one aspect. What's your thought leadership platform? Like you're a CEO, you're a founder. What do you want to be out there talking about? You know, like how do you want to establish your expertise? And so we had a really great opportunity to come to Archetype, which is what's actually a sister agency of Outcast. We're all in the same family. Um, and the CEO is this really incredible woman who, and I don't use the term ally that much, you know, because I think it's overused and people don't always know what it means, but she has always been a great mentor and she really was like, come over here. Like, let's build this thing. Let's show that we can be a different type of agency. You have ownership over it. Like you build it, you create it. And you tell me how, like we as an agency can support it. And so Our mission is really to support, you know, founders who are trying to get their businesses off the ground to, you know, help them at the core of like, what are the communications needs that they need to really accelerate their business growth? You know, we're here to help executives. So, you know, you may be a black executive working within a larger company, but you want to learn how to build your profile. You want to figure out like, how do I use my LinkedIn um, to make connections or to build my network? Um, what should I be talking about so I can establish myself as a um, an expert? Like, how do I get speaking opportunities at industry conferences? Um, you know, and we do a lot of work with VCs because they are um, the ones who are working with these and funding these portfolio companies who need this type of work. So it's really a passion project. I feel like I'm, you know, stepped into my purpose a little bit with this work. And it's a lot of building, you know, for me, it's the building a business from scratch in a sense, because even though we're in a larger um, agency, we have to figure out like, what's the pricing model that works for these types of um, clients? Like, how do we get more scrappy? Because when you have a lot of money to spend, there's more of an on-ramp to, you know, to build a program. When people are like, spending their hard-earned money and they only got a little bit to spend it's like how do we get really specific with what your goals are and what's really going to move the needle for you Mm. um you know so we're we're definitely in a building phase right now but it's been about um i think we launched at the end of uh, february so i can't do my math but it's like you know seven eight months um so that's really what what we're doing and and our goal is really that more of these agencies do the same thing. We're not trying to be the only ones, right? Like we look at it like if we're the only agency that's doing it, we're not having the impact that we want to do. Like ultimately, we want other agencies to look and realize like you can have DEI teams. And I was the lead of the DEI team at my old job. And, um, you know, and we did really, really great work. And you also have to be super intentional mm. because these clients aren't just going to come to you, right? Like you have to 
be out at events trying to meet them. You have to be intentional about how you work with them and what you offer and how you build, um, how you partner, because there's a lot of other agencies and their or organizations that are doing really great work with entrepreneurs of color. Um, you know, so how do we make sure that we're adding to that and we're not just here like, we're here, we're here to take over. It's like, no, we wanna be a part of an ecosystem mm. that helps make a larger impact. Love that. I, what I thought was interesting is the way, I, I love the way you described marketing and PR, because I always thought that LinkedIn, social media, Instagram, TikTok fell under marketing, never really thinking about the PR aspect. Because really, I think the way you said it's marketing is at the top, the CMO, but PR is under marketing, but it has its own distinct things to do versus the marketing doing trade shows and different events. It's Is that the way you described it? So different companies set things up differently. You know, mm -hmm. there are certain companies where they have a global head of communications and like, so all of their PR kind of falls under that. There are certain companies that their CMO is in charge of their communication. So it always works hand in hand. It's just different mm -hmm. in how it's set up based on the company, right? But I think for communications, it's a like marketing, it's a lot more paid in some instances. It's like how you mm -hmm. use your money to really get your message out there. Communications is a lot more earned so the way we the way we talk about it a lot of times is like owned and earned so so earned is like you got to work hard to get those reporters to cover you right like you don't have that much control and i can't give you money to cover me <laughs> you know like that's not <laughs> that's not part of pr like i have to convince you that this is a story that's worth telling and, and things like that but like for instance on the marketing side you could pay out of your marketing budget for an advertorial which is more like an advertisement. Um, and and there's less input from outside sources. Um, a lot of times, to your point, Smiley, social media will fall under communications because you're not always like paying for that, right? Like you're building a strategy um, and figuring out like how you're gonna post and things like that. But you can put marketing spin towards your social strategy, right? Because you can buy targeted ads on X, I'm still, I'm still getting used to calling it X on X or on Facebook, you know, and on TikTok. So it, it all works hand in hand, but it's really the way I think about it. Like the PR is really the earned aspect and the marketing is really the owned where you have more control over it because it's your own channels and, or you're, you know, you're paying money towards getting your message out in some way. I, I love that description because I, I could see it clearly now. So when you work with the VCs and you're, you mentioned that they're scrappy and let's say the VC comes into the founders and the founders, the VC says, I have a hundred grand for you. Would you say just on average with your experience that they take that money, 80%, uh, 80 grand's going to marketing, 20 is going to building my influencers or uh, 50 grand. I'm going to pay an influencer to get my numbers out there or how do you see that money doled out between the, I'm building my company. I don't have a PR yet. I don't have a marketing yet. I'm building my brand and I just got this windfall of a hundred grand. What would, what would I do? Or what's the best way just on average from a, a founder's perspective? Yeah. So a lot of the work that we do with VCs, because 
some some will like earmark a certain amount of money for communications and some will give you a you know money for your growth plan and you have to figure out you know where you're gonna um put that money the beautiful thing about a lot of these vc firms is they have an in-house marketing person who their job is to kind of counsel these portfolio companies and things like that but what we've been doing is partnering and coming in and doing a lot of trainings um so we we've come in and we've done trainings on messaging positioning, like giving you the basics. Here's how to think about the process that you need to take yourself through. If you already have messaging, here's like a litmus test for you to figure out if you have, you know, if your messaging is actually as strong as you think it is um, or things like that. I think to your point, Smiley, a lot of, um, we see a lot of founders who are like, I don't have money to spend on this right now because I'm trying to get my products off the ground, right? Like, or I have to figure out, I have to figure out how to like a go-to-market strategy that's going to meet a certain um, target audience. For instance, we were just working with a, an ed tech founder with a really, really cool product. She's trying to reach administrators, right? She's trying to reach teachers and principals and, and things like that. So, you know, getting a story is great, but like if she gets a story in a technology outlet and those principals and teachers don't read that, then that's not helping her. You know, so what we always recommend is like start with your business goals because your communication strategy should should ladder up to your business goals. Um, and so based on your business goals, what are the most important things? If people are just starting out, you know, I'm definitely not recommending they spend a lot of money on media relations because you have to get your core foundation together first. I would always recommend people start with their messaging and positioning first um, and put money towards that and making sure that that's right, because that's going to impact everything that you do. You know, if you do go to an industry conference and you're, you know, you have a booth or you're presenting or something like that, you need to make sure that your marketing materials are strong. Right. And what you're saying is going to entice people to try your product. Um, so I always recommend people start with messaging and positioning first there, get their kind of integrated strategy together and then build from there. I think that's also one of the things like for Ascend and why we exist is so that we can help folks, um, at that, at that stage and at that level before they really start spending money. Right. So like we're able to take on clients at a lot lower, um, price point than we typically do as an agency, because we just know like you're, they're at a place where every dollar counts, you know? And so we want to make sure that we are um, talking to them and understanding their goals so we can get really specific about like, okay, these are the kind of communications things that we should be targeting right now. And then once you get that together, maybe it's like you take a break and you come back when you have a certain customer, you know, number of customers, and then we really ramp up. Um, so there's no kind of one set thing that we tell people because it all depends on where you are in your product journey. Um, what are your biggest goals and needs from a business perspective? Like what's going to move the needle for you? Um, and then how do we help you achieve that? And we're also thinking differently about it, right? So one of the things we realize when it comes to helping executives is that a lot of these executives, you know, they're working within larger companies and those companies aren't like funding them to build their personal brand necessarily, right? So you're paying out of pocket. So I can't ask you to pay, you know, thousands of dollars out of pocket every month. Like that's 
completely unrealistic and it's not going to feel good on either side, right? So we're working to stand up an office hours program where people can pay a certain amount of money, you know, to have hours of consultation. And that can either be for guidance for you to like go off and do things on your own, but at least you have the guidance to know where to start and what to do or to actually like, Hey, can you help me, you know, take some hours and help me build a plan or take some hours and do some research and make a recommendation on like, who are the influencers that I should be reaching out to and then give me guidance on how to do that. Um, so we're really trying to just think differently, get out of the kind of the box or the traditional way that we normally work and just really think about what did the this audience that we're trying to work with, what do they need and how do we deliver it to them in a way that feels good? One, one thing before I turn it back to Dre is you mentioned, I want to circle back, you talked about DEI and diversity, equity, and inclusive conclusion. I, I was in a meeting, I'm in the software space, and I didn't realize that DEI fell under ESG. And at least at this company, um, mm-hmm. when he started talking ESG, then he mentioned DEI, I said, I thought this was an ESG meeting. He's like, well, that's part of ours too. And I'm like, really? Then I Googled it, of course, and YouTubed it. Mm-hmm. And in some companies, DEI does fall under ESG and all that different stuff. So from your company, do you work primarily only on the DEI part, or do you also go to the umbrella ESG, or is that part of your programs as well, or is it all of the same? No, it's different at every company. I mean, I'm a big believer that DEI should come from the very top of your organization, um, or Mm -hmm. else it's not going to be impactful. Um, But we do work with clients. um, We do work with clients larger kind of corporate clients on their DEI initiatives. And those clients, they look at DEI, like different clients um, are, are their DEI program focuses on different things. And so like we, we work with right now, we're working with DocuSign who has an incredible, I mean, I, I cannot speak more highly of her if I tried, um, incredible chief diversity officer named Aisha Berry. And she's just in there doing really incredible work in making um, the company more diverse and in every way, right? Like, so making sure that their hiring and their retention policies are inclusive, making sure that, you know, leaders are armed with information to be the most inclusive leaders and things like that. And so our work is really in helping um, make sure that she's communicating her story internally and externally. So you're doing all this great work, but how do employees know about the work that's being done in the company? How do they have a voice? How do they have visibility, you know, so that it's transparent? Um, And then how do you talk about that externally? You know, so as you're trying to attract talent to the company and also just like she has a really great perspective on um, how companies kind of need to, um, run to make this work impactful. And so, you know, making sure that she's using her social channels, making sure that if she's out there speaking at conferences, you know, she is armed and prepared and and which she always is. And so that's part of the work that we do is like helping companies tell their, their DEI story. But it's also, you know, like companies are out here and they're working with diverse audiences, right? Like, so 
Um, we work with TikTok, right, who has amazing creators of color and diverse creators on their platform. Um, you know, so how are they supporting those creators? Like, how are they making sure that those creators have a voice and that their story is being told? Um, so that is also part of the work that we do. And then as always, I'm making sure my own company is living up to those those ethos, um, you know, and so making sure that we're bringing in diverse talent um, to work on these things. But also, you know, it's been really interesting for me because I'm always thinking as a Black woman about DEI. Um, and when we started this, when we started this um, division, Archetype Ascend, you know, I had to be really intentional about making sure that the full agency felt like they were a part of it not just the, um, you know, the BIPOC folks at the agency, but it's like, we want everybody to feel like they can work on and support these clients, right? And we have to make sure that we're living the same values that we um, are saying that we want these clients to be living, right? So like, how do we make sure that we're putting our arms around people and they feel like they belong and they feel like they have a place in this thing that we're building. So, you know, DEI is one of those things where it should be touching every aspect of your organization. And if it's not, then you need to reevaluate. And we're happy to help you do that. Love that. Love that. Love that. <laughs> Erica, I, I got to tell you, I wish we had at least another hour because I have at least, you know, seven to eight, maybe 10,000 questions more to ask you. But, um, <laughs> We're going to transition into the final four, but here's here's one question, actually two questions before we do. Um, Alpha Kappa Alpha Incorporated, Sorority Incorporated, talk to me about how being a member of that sorority impacts the values and who you are and what you do in, in your uh, career. Sure. Um I love being a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. I think I was just, you know, coming from Atlanta and um, going to an HBCU, it's really important to me to be surrounded by and to uplift um, my community, but especially, you know, the black community. Um, and living in the Bay Area, I think you have to be even more intentional about that because it's so spread out. It's not always um, as diverse as where, like the places that I come from. Um, and so I wanted to be part of an organization that was having an impact on the community, but as a black woman that was also having a profound impact on the community that I came from. Um, and so I think for me, it's just, my parents raised me to always be giving back. And you know, that at like age old adage, to whom much is given, much is expected. And I have been blessed with a lot. And so I wanna make sure that I am always, always giving back um, to my community. And so through my my service and my sisterhood with AKA, I'm able to do that um, in a way that is just more impactful than what I could just do on my own, right? Like that impact is, is multiplied. Um, and so that has, you know, it's just been, it's been a great honor. My godmother is an AKA and she's the one who always had the, the dream for me. And she's one of the best women that I've ever met. One of the most giving, one of the most caring. Um, and, and I'm surrounded by that now. And, and also I would say being a part of the organization is just a reminder to me of, to always be striving to be my best, you know, because I'm surrounded by women who are incredible and 
professional and poised and just, you know, hold themselves to a, a very high standard. And so I can't let that standard slip. You know, I have to be, I have to live up to that standard that they're setting for me. Um, and so it's just, I try to bring that spirit to everything that I do. Um, and I'm just very, very fortunate to be part of an organization um, that pours into me and allows me to then pour into my community. Love that. Love that. All right. So uh, here's the transition question before we get to the final four. So we, we uh, are hoping that this podcast is viewed and listened to millions and millions of people. A number of them probably know you. What's one thing that people don't know about you that you wish they knew? <laughs> oh, that's so hard because I'm such an open book. Um, I'm such an open book. What do I wish people knew about me? You know, <laughs> I think I wish that people knew that Oh my gosh, I should have prepared better. <laughs> you're good, you're good. <laughs> so, by, by the way, this is this is the typical typical response. You're not alone. <laughs> Everyone goes through these <laughs> these series of thoughts and feelings and you're not alone. You know, I I think I would just I don't know that I want people to know this about me, but I am definitely a person who I thrive in organized chaos and I'm extremely hard on myself. Um, because sometimes like I can, I definitely have, I would describe my style as warm, but direct, you know? So I've definitely had to work over the years on like, okay, that was really straightforward. And next time, like maybe massage that a little bit, but I think people know that I'm, I'm very empathetic, um, but I am very, very hard on myself. Um, and so that's something I try to work on. It's like, a, I feel like a, that saying, give yourself grace. Mm. Um, like it's it's become a big thing this this last few years, especially during COVID, because we're all trying to give ourselves grace. Yeah. That's not an area that I'm good at giving myself grace. Um, and so I definitely I think a lot of that is what drives me mm. is being so hard on myself. Mm. Um, and the organized chaos part is just because like as an as an operator, quote unquote, like as somebody who does a lot of operations. I think like there's different ways to do that. Mm -hmm. um, some people are very exacting, right? Like if they they don't have all their stuff together, um, then then they can't function. Whereas me, I'm the type that like if you could see my tabs open on my computer screen, I probably have, and I kid you not, like 260 tabs open at a time. But I can always find like I have systems to find what I need. Um, and it's helped me be successful, right? And so there is no one way to to be successful, and especially like in operations and stuff like that. <laughs> so I could probably be more successful if I was more organized, uh, but it works for me. So I don't know if that gets to the heart of the question that you're asking, but that's all I got for you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, the first question in the final four, if you were to have dinner with you and three others at the table, who would you want at your table, alive or dead, and why? Um, Bomani Jones. I'm a big mm. Bomani Jones fan. I'm a big sports fan, and I think he does such a beautiful job of blending 
kind of sports and politics. And also he lived in Atlanta for a long time. So he talks about Atlanta a lot. And I just, I find him endlessly fascinating. Um, so he would be one. Um, Muhammad Ali would be one. Um, Muhammad Ali in his prime. My dad is a big collector um, and a huge Muhammad Ali. He was a stand before we knew what stands were. Okay, so his whole basement is covered in Muhammad Ali stuff. And I just, um, you know, I've read a lot of books about him and he's another person that, you know, I have so many questions that I would love to ask around even just like his um, decision not to um, be drafted and, and stuff like that. So um, he would be another big one. And then I would say my grandmother, um, just because, you know, both of my grandmothers were incredible, incredible women. Um, I was extremely close with, I call her Gami. That was my, my, my Gami, my name for her. Um, but she, you know, she lived in New Orleans and she was spicy and um, she passed away right before I got married. Um, and so that, you know, I would just love for her to see where I am now and my my life and my kids um, and be able to to catch up with her. So I think those would be my my top three. Love it. Love it. What's been your greatest success? You know, my greatest success has been building the life that I have mm. now. And I say that because. I took a big risk in moving to the Bay Area. I knew two people. I had never been here before. I knew two people. And I, you know, I really had to, I had to build my network. I had to build my friends, you know, like I had, to, and and as y'all know, making friends in, as an adult, you know, where you don't have a school to bring right, together. Right, right, right. Like it's not easy. It's not. Um, and I, you know, and I, feel really proud of myself that I was able to stand on my own two feet to take a, you know, a risk to try something completely new for myself and living in a place that I had visited one time. And that was the interview for my job. Um, you know, and now I'm married, I have kids, I'm in a sorority, like I've built this career. And so I think my biggest success is just the life that I have built for myself, because there's nothing wrong with going home. You know, like I think it's amazing and I'm trying to go back home to be quite honest, but you know, to know that I was able to do this without having my family here or having, like, I really didn't have any crutch to lean on. Right. I had to like make it for myself um, or not. That makes me feel extremely proud. That's awesome. You had to sink or swim. And you swam. Yep. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, the third final four question is, what is your superpower? What is something that's uniquely Erica? Superman flies. The Hulk has his strength. The Flash is really fast. What is your uniquely you superpower? So this is going to sound really conceited, and I don't mean it to be, but I think I'm a really good mentor. Like, I, I really love sharing my knowledge and my experience with folks who are, you know, coming after me in some way or um, who seek my guidance. Like, I, I really care about developing people or helping them develop. And I think part of that is because people have poured into me so much in my life. But um, I feel like any job that I have, I'm always asked to like, can you 
work with this person? Can you mentor this person? Or it just naturally it happens. And a lot of the folks that I've worked with in the past, like the things that they say about me, the the things that are most impactful for me and most meaningful have to do with my willingness and ability to mentor. Um, and I think part of that is just because like I'm very honest. I'm honest about the struggles that I've had. I'm honest about where I'm good and not good. And I try to create a safe space for other people to be honest, whether that's you need to fall apart and you need somebody there to listen, or you need somebody to be really real with you and be like, okay, girl, the way that you're doing this is not, <laughs> is not the way, but let's talk about the way. Um, you know, so I think that that, if I had a superpower, I think my, just my ability to pour into people in that way, but in a really authentic way um you know and just being truthful and being honest and, and using my own story to help guide them that would be my superpower but you know what i, I just want to circle back because i didn't see anything conceited in that everyone would love to have a mentor that would put them on the right path or be direct with them because when you're dealing with founders they they want to i would imagine they want to know the truth they want to know the harsh truth because your directness saves me money. <laughs> yeah, some, uh, some people do. Some people the truth, but yeah. <laughs> you can insult me for I don't care if you insult me, but it don't cost me any money. I'd rather take the insult for free yeah. than let me be feeling good about myself and I just lost a couple grand. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> can, can I go back to a question? Yes, of course. Yes, you can. Yeah, anytime. So the question about... Um, so the question about um, what do I wish people knew about me? It takes me back, Smiley, to the conversation that you and I had um, months ago when I met you. I was a rape crisis counselor for 10 years. And I, um, again, I fell into that because I got into an argument in college and I still remember the exact person I was arguing with, but I won't call them out. <laughs> um, I got into an argument about Kobe Bryant and I was super passionate about, about the argument. And he was like, have you been a victim before? And I hadn't been. Right, right. Um, I had not, I had not been, but I, it did make me question like, why am, why am I so passionate about this? And so I decided to just, um, volunteer at a rape crisis center mm -hmm. and you have to go through every state that you, um, want to volunteer and you have to be certified and it takes like 40 hours. Mm -hmm. So I got certified in Atlanta. Then when I went back to school, I got certified in Florida. When I moved here, I got certified, um, and the reason I would want people to know that about me is because I think that set me on a path to make sure that I was infusing purpose mm. into every aspect of my work. Um, because when I went back to Tallahassee, they didn't have just a rape crisis center. So it was a larger, it was a place called Refuge House, which is really incredible organization. Um, but they also did domestic violence support. So I did every, I did rape crisis support group. I helped people get restraining orders as my actual like paying job. Um, I worked in their thrift store that benefited battered women. I worked in their, um, I worked in their nursery, um, you know, where women would bring their kids who were staying in the shelter. And so I always thought that I was going to work in nonprofits for the rest of my life. That's what I, that's what I thought I was going to do. And then I realized like, my lifestyle did not, um, it was not conducive to that. <laughs> right. but, but I remember my old boss, this woman, Lane Davis, who was my boss at the courthouse. 
she told me, she said, one of the beautiful things about you is that you have a business mind, but a social worker heart. Um, and so oh. I have really tried to infuse that level of care and empathy and purpose and impact that I got from being an advocate for survivors into the work that I do day to day. And I've always looked for opportunities within my organization to make an impact. So at my first job at Outcast, we had a philanthropy program. And at the time it was kind of defunct, like they weren't really doing anything with it. Um, and I was like, hey, can I revive this? And they're like, sure, please. You know, and that's really how I started doing social impact work within my career. Um, so people see now, they see the work that I do and they see the impact, but I don't think most people know that that's kind of what started me on this path. So the work looks different, right? It's not for the same cause necessarily, but the um, the heart of it is still the same. Two things come to mind as you share that. One is, it was clear to me that you had to figure out a way to afford the red bottom heels, but still give, <laughs> but still give back to the community. The second thing, more seriously, is that, yeah, you really, at your core, it's clear to me you were all about pouring back into the community. This is something that you that you started in Atlanta, on to Tallahassee. Now that you're in the Bay Area. And it's just grown. It's just grown since then, which is yeah. just, um, it's, it's, it's beautiful. You know, it, it, people, we don't, we don't meet too many. We had, we had a guest recently, Smiley and I, at the conclusion of that, of that interview, we both, what stood out to us is, wow, that guy's really selfless. You also have that, it's like, it's like a, I don't know if it's a gene or what it is, but you clearly have kind of a selfless soul or whatever it is i don't know how you would describe it and it's it's refreshing to see it's refreshing Thank to see you. so the last final four questions so yeah yeah no problem if you were to write an autobiography what would the title be <laughs> oh man i've thought about this actually a lot um if i were to write an autobiography i think I think it might be called Organized Chaos. Ah, I really do. I think it might be called Organized Chaos. Um, just because I feel like that's how I function sometimes. And from the outside, it doesn't look like that. But from the inside, it can feel kind of chaotic. But um, but it's me, right? It's like the way that um, it's the way that I have come to be. I, I you know, I feel like it would be cl cliche to say it, it would be something about giving back, you know, it probably would, okay. <laughs> but, um, but I think if I had to describe myself, um, in that way, because even if I have a journal and that's what I wrote the title it was called organized chaos. And I think it's more so because it just gives me permission to not be perfect, mm. to be a little messy, um, you know, cause life is messy sure. and, so I've tried to embrace like all the the areas of my life, um, whether that looks chaotic or not. Um, so I think that would be it. But I don't expect that I would write an autobiography because 
it's too many things that I would have to leave out. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it really, it really doesn't matter. You can, you can change, you can change the names to protect the innocent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. no, that would work, huh? That would work. No, it's not too many innocent people in these stories. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's more like names are changed to protect the guilty. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Trust me, I'm taking mine to the grave, so I I understand. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. No, thank yeah. you. <laughs> Smiling. Well, well, Erica, I am I am so excited that. One, meeting you, and two, for you to be on the podcast. So thank you very much for sharing your wisdom, your experiences, and your um, awesomeness with us and our listeners. Thank you very, very much. Oh, thank you all, and thank you all for the work that you're that you're doing with this podcast. And just there's so many incredible people doing incredible things, and so I just love learning about them through this platform. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for being on the pod. 